to episode 18 of Phil's Breakfast Metal. Um, like, after, I think it was two episodes back, I did a kind of rundown of the entirety of Annihilator's discography. Phil decided uh, he quite liked hurting himself by listening <laughs> to entire band discographies. So, yeah, I was thinking of another band who I didn't really want to cover an individual album at length, but would, like, like to talk about maybe as a more kind of career overview, and um, decided to settle on uh, Hypocrisy, the um, Swedish death metal slash melodic death metal band they're one of those bands I found really young and for whatever reason just ended up buying loads and loads of their albums mm. similarly to Annihilator their discography like if you highlight the best songs is excellent but some of the albums are more patchy than others like and they don't have they maybe one or two like stand out really good albums but quite a lot of albums that are a bit laden with filler but if you, like, yeah, extrapolate a discography or maybe, like, a live set list, mm. they're a really excellent band. Um, so, actually, I decided to make a whole episode out of this because when I started doing research, I realised there's quite a lot to talk about. Um, so, yeah, we're basically... I'm going to review all their albums by basically giving a history of the band. What my <laughs> Rob might be at a bit of a loose end in this one. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, so I sort of have the opposite thing of... I have listened to Hypocrisy... Um, I don't actually think I own any albums though, and they're just one that through you know listening to a whole bunch of stuff, I just happen to have missed them a bit. Um, but I'm sort of here for a crash course, really, in what hypocrisy <laughs> alike. So yeah, so before recording, I kind of gave Rob like a half hour run through of their like some key moments of their history. So yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, so as most of you will probably know, um, hypocrisy is founded by Tika Peter. Tagrant. I've never quite sure yeah. how to pronounce it. He's got a very Swedish surname. <laughs> so, although like he he's like kind of main man behind it, there is a kind of solid core of the lineup that we'll get to. But yeah, so for their history, um, it's best to start with him. Like as a teenager, born in Sweden, like quite interested in music, multi instrumentalist. Um, he decided to move out to the states with his girlfriend at the time. Um, got got really into death metal and attempted to join uh, Malevolent Creation. I think he was like very briefly a live guitarist, but mm. could be wrong in that. But for whatever reason, that all fell through, and he moved back to Sweden. At that point, because he could play all the instruments, he started. Uh, he formed the band Seditious as just a one man project mm. and recorded uh, what would be the first Hypocrisy demo um, just by himself. This demo, I think they changed the name to Hypocrisy when this demo came out. And the strength of this demo alone was enough for Nuclear Blast to sign them. And they, That's pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, that was back when like you could get signed off of a two-track <laughs> demo. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and they they remained with Nuclear Blast for their entire 12-album run, which is, again, quite weird. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so to record the first album, Penetralia, um, like, so the form seditious in 1988... Uh, and tr- he decided he didn't want to do it all himself. He mm. first wanted to get in a a vocalist because he didn't think his vocals were good enough, which will turn out to be incredibly wrong. So so <laughs> incredibly wrong. <laughs> but yeah, so for the first um, the first like extra member was Massa Bromberg, who you may know as Emperor Magnus Caligula of um, <laughs> well of, until recently of Dark Funeral, um, joined up with Peter. And originally, I should say as well, they weren't a melodic death metal band to start with. They mm. were a really raw, stripped down, just very extreme death metal band. Yeah, so like not hugely technical, fairly simplistic, but like this 
really good sound, like kind of rough around the edges and stuff. But yeah, just very solid death metal. And um, vocals on the early albums, I mean, Peter Taggart's an incredible vocalist. Um, but the vocals on the early albums are also really good. They've got this amazing sort of low-end bellow to them. And like, yeah, just this really raw slab of death metal. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so he rounded up the lineup with um, Johannes Oesterberg um, on guitar, Michael Headland on bass. Michael Headland is the other guy you'll see for the entire discography. He sticks with the band the whole way. And then longtime drummer uh, Lars uh, Suke, who, yeah, again, sticks with the band for a very long time after this. They recorded first album, 1992, Penetralia. I, don't, I didn't show Rob anything of this one. I showed him a track of the next one. But yeah, this album is just raw as fuck. Mm. It, like, the sound to it is like super brutal, but it is that kind of thing of it's clearly recorded on a tiny budget. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, the drums sound pretty bad, but like, it's just got a charm to it. I really mm. like mm. it. The band quite clearly can't play all that well, but they play to their strengths. It's really yeah. simplistic, straightforward music. But like,. Massive vocals are fucking ridiculous. Like, he's got this amazing low bellow. Yeah. Kind of weird, actually, ended up as a black metal vocalist. It is, yeah. It's a weird thing of you know, Peter Tegrin as well, as we'll go on to talk about. That, like, I mean, he's, he's got an awesome range just as well. Like, he can do these really low and then these really high bits as well, suitable for just death metal or black metal. Oh, yeah, yeah, completely. Um, so, one of the other major failings of this album is uh, I don't think anyone wanted to write lyrics. So... <laughs> Apparently, Massey wrote most of them just sat in the kitchen with Michael Hedlund looking over his shoulder. And the lyrics are the most nonsensical crap. <laughs> the, the one I always quote is from the uh, like the album single, Left to Rot, um, which is, Die for me in hell so I can get rid of your smell. <laughs> and, and even in the song, it's delivered with such force as well. You're like, ah, oh, fuck it. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this album's a, like, it's an interesting one. I think there's definitely some uh, tracks to recommend off it, like, the single Left to Rot is amazing. Jesus Falls is a really catchy track. Um, to Escape is to Die is from the original demo. Like, they re-recorded it. Another really catchy song. And you kind of see why they um, were probably able to get signed off the back of it. Mm. And then, like, a hint of things to come. The final track, Penetralia. Um, Peter does all the vocals. And it's got a certain... Yeah, it's got a certain more melodic edge to it. A lot more mm. atmospheric and... Yeah, definitely a prelude to that middle career. The one thing that they did peak on, we've got all the albums out here in front of us on this album, is album cover art. This is mm. the best. Yeah, I think it's... quite a long way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So moving into the next one, the cover art quality definitely drops for uh, os Osculum Obscenum. Uh, yeah. It's like a weird two-headed crucified Jesus skeleton mm. surrounded by eyeballs. <laughs> it, it makes no fucking sense. Yeah. Much like uh, the continuing lyric writing, like, <laughs> song titles from this album are fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Definitely some, like, and some that possibly should have been left in the early nineties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, this album, particularly weird recording-wise, apparently the studio they booked for it had hired out half the equipment, so they had like no compressors oh, or shit. or effects for anything. So it's got that it's kind mad. of um, Rain in Blood style production where everything is just in your face. It's just mm. a solid wall of attack. And it it kind of works, but it, yeah, it's 
it, it leaves it with an odd sound. And as Rob was pointing mm. out, this one particular, the snare sounds horrible on yeah, this album. Yeah. And I think that probably is down to shite equipment and yeah, yeah. not really knowing what they're doing. Also, um, I should mention, the whole way through this, Pete is always involved in the production, mixing, recording of every album. Like, this will become a thing coming up. Oh, I should mention as well, the lineup massively slims down. We get um, we get the loss of uh, Jonas at this point, so we're down to a four-man four man band. And as things go on, we'll see this keep shrinking. Um, so, like... I think probably good to chuck in a track here to give you an impression of what early hypocrisy sounds like because they're about to make a real change after this album. Uh, from this one, we're going to play the opening track, Pleasure of Modestation. Yeah, again, stupid names, but... <laughs> the lyrics don't make it any better. <laughs> Yeah. 
This is where things really change up for the band. Like, on tour, Maso was getting really sick for whatever reason and had to pull up the tour halfway through because they wanted to keep going and Peter could do the guitar while doing vocals. They slimmed down to a power trio with um, Lars and Michael and, yeah, he took over doing vocals, got better and better at it and eventually just they parted ways with Maso when they got home and he obviously went off to join um, Dark Funeral. Um, to kind of test the idea of Peter staying as the main vocalist, they decided to record the um, Inferior Devotees EP just to see if they liked his mm. his vocals enough when down on recording. It's a really good EP. It's like really different for their stuff as well. It's like quite shreddy. Like there's a lot of like yeah. really fancy solos, which is not something you really see in, in any of the discography around that. Um, and it has a great like Slayer cover on it. Yeah, it's just a really solid EP, and Peter's vocals kind of work. And this leads straight on to uh, their third album, 1994's The Fourth Dimension, which really tending into the trend of terrible album covers. <laughs> it's a man on a chair, like, wearing bin bags. <laughs> <laughs> I think is the, the best summary of this. So this is why I played the track for you, Rob, uh, mm. Reincarnation, which is the, the very melodic one. Oh, yeah, yeah. So how do like um, Peter's vocals sort of change over the career? So for Inferior Devotees and Fourth Dimension, he's clearly doing an impression of Massey, so he's keeping them all mm. quite low, mm. but he can't go as low. So yeah. he's doing really low, really decent death metal vocals, but they're 
they're not very varied and we'll see yeah. he really changes things up on the next album this album's a bit of a weird one because they managed to get the budget to go to a really good studio mm. but the studio people they're working with had no idea how to record metal. Yeah, so this was a really weird one to listen to because there's just something wrong about all the recording. Like you can hear everything, everything sounds good, but there's something wrong about how it all meshes together. There's like no attack on the guitars, like the chugging just doesn't sound aggressive and the drums seem way too precise. Like the snare drum is just weird. It's yeah. It's a great song, a great song to listen to, but just weird production. Yeah, it's as an album as well, it's a bit of a weird one. Cause, so we get a start of um, what becomes the kind of hypocrisy staple. Like, little elements of that are coming in. Like, there's a, a certain move to make the drums slower as well. Like, a lot mm. of a lot of songs, like especially the, the intro track, Apocalypse. Well, the intro is like seven minutes long. But, <laughs> um, like, focuses mainly on a keyboard melody. And, mm. and, like, never, like, accelerates much past the crawl. Big problem with this album is there's a fuckload of filler. It's like 13 tracks long. The first yeah. five are really good fun. And then it's just five that sound exactly the same as the ones before. It rounds out into um, the final track, The Fourth Dimension, which is a really decent song. But like essentially, the first and last track are the best. And there's this whole bit towards the end where they just sound like they're repeating themselves. Mm. Like, I swear to God, there's a guitar solo that appears in two songs. <laughs> like, it's, or it's similar enough that so it feels that way. Yeah. Again, I think we're chucking the song here because just this change is something I really want to kind of highlight. So um, from Fourth Dimension, we're going to play Reincarnation.
That leads us on to uh, 95... Actually, no, yeah, 94 to the fourth dimension. Not the fourth dimension, what am I on about? Um, 95, they decided they weren't doing enough albums, so formed The Abyss, a black metal band <laughs> of the same three members. Um, yeah, this... <laughs> really good raw black metal their first album The Other Side like it's Peter does like completely opposite vocals to what he's doing on Fourth Dimension goes mm. to these really high vocals they're really short to the point songs like I think the album's only about half an hour long but highly worth checking out but I'm not going to play anything for it because essentially it's a slightly uh, different band around this time as well um, Peter sets himself up as a studio guy for other bands I'm not sure if he founds the Abyss Studios yet but it's around this time he's putting that together. Because like all the way through Hippocrates' career, he's working as a producer, mixer, engineer. Like Now, if you look at his discography, he's worked on about 100 albums for other bands doing wow, that kind yeah. of stuff. Like He's Nuclear Blast's like go-to recording guy. Yeah, yeah. So some of the albums he's worked on, I should probably drop in here. Uh, Monotheist by Celtic Frost. Oh, yeah. um, Children of Bodens Follow the Reaper. Uh, Dark Funeral's Diabolus Interium, which is a yeah. fucking excellent album. yeah. yeah. Dawn Slaughter Sun, which is a fucking brilliant record as well. Panzer Division Marduk, uh, the last four Sabaton albums, mm. and Septic Flushes the Great Mass. Oh wow, yeah. Because he has a tendency to tend towards a certain sound, like um, for some bands. But actually, you have those mentioned. They all have quite an interesting, yeah. like, sort of individual feel to the production of those. Hmm. But yes, yeah, so soon after that, we get um, ninety six is abducted. This is. This is where the formula kind of cements itself. So, Peter starts experimenting with different vocals. We get some more higher pitched screams as well as the low guttural ones. Even on two tracks towards this out at the end of this album, clean vocals. Mm. Yeah, like he has an odd clean vocal style, but I, I think for these songs it works. Is this the point where we're getting the full on kettle scream, or is that still? To no, be? no, he hasn't. Like his vocal <laughs> ability is still still uh, coming on, but he hasn't yeah. quite mastered it yet. Also. The other massive thing that's coming in is obsessions with aliens. <laughs> the, the lyrics move from like Satanism and gore into loads of alien abduction and out-of-body experience stuff. Like, yeah, which isn't actually that a common metal band theme. You'd have thought you'd find more bands doing stuff on this, but no, it's not actually a particularly common thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, so like, they've carved out a weird niche with it. Hmm. I don't think he's ever been the best lyric writer, but it's certainly a massive improvement on the early stuff. Um, and yeah, the other thing that really happens is the songs get way more melody. Like mm. the opening track to this album, Roswell Forty Seven, which is like their live staple, often like a closing song for them, is this super melodic, like very lightweight. He's doing this like very high kind of scream, which blends in with the music neatly. Like it, this, this kind of thing's happening a lot. Um, Arrival of the Demons Part Two on this album again, very similar kind of effects. Although there's still the two tracks, Buried and Killing Art, which are fucking excellent, brutal, heavy ones. So mm. there's a nice there's a nice movement between this. Um, production's rough as fuck, but it sounds a hell of a lot better than the last album. Mm. They've clearly got studio tools in there with them, like and actually adding a lot of elements. And we're starting to see the keyboards creep in more. Like this will be mm. something that gets amped up every single album. So one of the things I was sort of picking up on when you were sort of listening to some of it um, earlier 
was how they not only have a lot of melody and it will sort of get more and more as it goes on, but they also manage to keep these sort of crushingly heavy death metal elements in at the same time. And I think that's a really interesting thing. A lot of um, sort of mellow death bands often lose some of the heavy end, at least in the guitars and the rest of the musicianship, and just keep really heavy vocals. And I was really just impressed that they'd kept that heavy side of it at the same time as having all this melody. I thought it really helped it work as, you know, truly sort of melodic, but still death metal. Yeah, yeah, it, it, that's, that's an interesting point. I just hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah. And I guess both me and Rob are kind of inexperienced in melodic death metal, and mm. we know a few of the classic bands, but it's not a genre we've dug yeah. into massively. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Abducted, definitely an interesting album to dip into of theirs. I still say it doesn't reach the quality of the ones we're about to get to. Same year, because they are doing so much. Uh, the second of this album comes out, second and final one, Summon the Beast. It's more of the same. Like essentially, Abyss has about an hour and ten minutes of music in total. Mm. It's just raw to the point black metal, and it, I think it really works, but I don't know if black metal purists would love it. And at the same time, he also forms the industrial rock band Pain. Um, I don't get Pain. Like, uh, <laughs> I think that's, we're going to leave it at that. For the rest of the career, be aware he's releasing like a Pain album mm. next to every Hypocrisy album. Um... Yeah, because, my God, like the release schedule of this stuff is kind of crazy, because their first album came out in 92, we're about, to, we're just coming into 97 now, the final chapter comes out, that's five albums and then two under the abyss, Yeah, and yeah. he's like started his own studio in five years. Yeah, and then formed Pain as well towards the end of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it, the, the output of Peter and the guys is crazy. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, as you mentioned as well, Pain is totally a solo project, he does all the writing for that. I think everyone writes for Hypocrisy because mm. he's very much seen as Peter's project because he's the front man. But like uh, Lars and Michael definitely have a big input in it even though it's not totally obvious. So 97 is the final chapter. I think this is possibly the highlight of their career. So named because they were having a massive falling out with the label and internal struggles and so on. They thought this would be the end of the band. Um, it's a really varied album. We're getting more of the melody, more of the... But like they're more kind of experimentation. Apparently, a lot of like the really insane riffs on this are written and played by the drummer because the drummer is a better guitarist than Peter. <laughs> but Peter's probably a better drummer than Lars. He just can't. <laughs> okay. So yeah, yeah. there's a really interesting back and forth between uh, Lars Suke and Peter, like of like putting these riffs together. So the album has quite a weird feel. If you get some really technical tracks like um, "Through the Window of Time" mm. and then some sort of very melodic kind of Roswell Forty Seven vibe of stuff like um, Coming Race, uh, Request Denied, again, features clean vocals at the start, and mm. kind of works. Like, And then we got all live, like, absolute live staples, like uh, the final chapter and Adjusting the Sun. Um, I think that's pretty much all there is to say on it. Oh, yeah, also the vocals suddenly get really yeah, good. Yeah. This is the point where Peter has really mastered what he's doing. Like, yeah, because I didn't, I didn't know hypocrisy really at all, but aware of Peter Tagarin from all sorts of stuff like his vocals are fantastic oh yeah well, um, I mean if you've heard Eaten by Bloodbath it's probably the most famous song yeah, he's on yeah. like yeah that guy can really scream and mm. got a real range to it as well mm. and this album is where he starts playing around more and more with low guttural and like higher stuff um, yeah to give you an idea of kind of the weirder way this band went I'm going to play from this album Through the Window of Time <laughs>
that brings us to um, yeah. So I think because of pain going on at this time, there's a slight uh, delay between the next album, a whole two years, to uh, 1999's Hypocrisy Destroys Wacken. So after um, after the final chapter, they thought the band was going to fall apart because they kind of announced this. They got such a fan reaction that they decided to keep it going. They're like, oh, mm. we we can't we can't quit this. So as a true like um, sort of a kind of reward to the fans who'd stay loyal to them. They released an amazing 10-track live recording of them playing Wacken. And it's a fucking brilliant set. Like, mm. really. There's a there's a CD of it and a uh, live DVD of it. It's, yeah, it's so worth checking out. But on top of that, it also features four new studio tracks. All right. Yeah. That's really uh, cool. It, the, I'd say the best way to view this is to watch the video of the live show, because the live show is fucking incredible. Like, hypocrisy just in their element, shirtless and going fucking crazy. <laughs> um and Michael uh, displaying his incredible abs. <laughs> you rarely see metal bands with six packs. Yeah, it's it's yeah. worth noting. Um, I also can't stop referring to this album as hypocrisy causes small amounts of localized damage to Wacken. Because <laughs> <laughs> hypocrisy destroys Wacken. Just seemed seemed overdoing it. <laughs> um, the four tracks I don't really get. They're like they're a bit bizarre in that they're just like four completely different styles. There's like one really punk influenced one. Uh, this one like really melodic all like like all clean vocal kind of style one as one that's kind of black metal-y it kind of yeah it, it's kind of all over the place and I guess this was them choosing their next direction um, and this will come up with the follow up uh, 1999's self-titled album Hypocrisy I was pointing this out to Rob earlier I'm convinced there's a pun in that because their previous <laughs> album was meant to be their last. It's called The Final Chapter. Yeah, which, which if it is, that's a beautiful bit of wordplay. So well done on that. Mm. Yeah, this this album is kind of just taking off where um, The Final Chapter left off. It's a bit more melodic. It's got a lovely, quite raw production job. It, it's got loads of their live staple songs in, sort of Fraction Millennium. And, and actually, this is the one where the... The song titles get absolutely crazy with elastic inverted visions and disconnected <laughs> magnetic corridors. <laughs> like they're fully leaning into yeah. the alien sci-fi. Uh, yeah, kind sort of, of loads of weird sci-fi adjectives and stuff like that. But yeah, this is um, pretty a bit less technical, a bit more melodic. But along with Final Chapter, this album and the album afterwards, Into the Abyss, are like the free to buy of hypocrisy. We're into their like super solid middle phase, mm. like. There's, there's, I'd say there's not much filler on this. The only, the only filler on it is the two tracks that they recorded, uh, re-recorded from Hypocrisy Destroys Wacken. Mm. They, they, they feel out of place, like because they are the two more punky ones, and the rest of it sounds quite melodic and mm. heavy. So it, it's a bit of a strange one, but um, yeah, I, I think absolutely excellent. And then we get to 2000. Jesus, there's no time between these albums. Yeah, yeah. Uh, into the abyss. Which, because Peter needs a reference, Abyss everywhere <laughs> in his career, apparently. Yeah. Um, this is more more of the kind of moving on from hypocrisy, kind of doing a similar thing, but taking it darker, a bit more brutal, and actually more atmospheric at the same time. Like, um, there's only about two filler tracks on Into the Abyss. Almost all of it is great. And it actually, it's a weird album in that the earlier tracks are much worse than the second half. Like, it really takes off towards the end. Um, we get the first proper example of what I was showing Rob earlier of the 
Peter Tagrant's kettle boiling scream. Yeah, it's, it's a monstrous scream. Like, it goes on for longer than I think is possible and then keeps rising in pitch higher and higher and higher and higher. Yeah, so the song the song Rob's referring to is uh, Fire in the Sky, another, like, common live staple. Just listen to this track for the intro scream alone. It yeah, is fucking ludicrous. It's phenomenal, yeah. The unfortunate thing is it's a life staple that they like to put near the end of the set and if Peter's <laughs> never got enough like breath left in him to actually do the screen yeah, just this live. Yeah, I have no idea how he does that if it's circular breathing or something because it doesn't seem as if a human being should be able to hold that much air inside them. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. But yeah, there's a load of really great tracks for this album. Um, Unleash the Beast, which is another like super heavy one. Unfold the Sorrow, which more like Fire in the Sky is a very melodic, but quite atmospheric track we've got little really subtle bits of keyboard that just add to the atmosphere mm. like I think he's especially in these earlier arms piece is really good at layering that in so it's not kind of offensively cheesy or um, like some melodic death metal bands go when they add too many keyboards yeah, over yeah. things um, then we get uh, Sodomized which is a track we'll play from this which is again like you can guess from the title it's really fast <laughs> and aggressive and then the album ends with Death Row, which is a really slow, like kind of melancholy outro. It's just, mm. just a really good album, this one. I'd say this and final chapter are probably the two I really mm. go back to.
right, so this brings us on, like, we've gone through the bit, the kind of free-arm period, I'd say, is the absolute best. This brings us on to 2002's Catch-22, and now we're getting into the period where it's not so good. Like, <laughs> So, with Catch-22, like, it's clearly in Peter's studio, like, this album sounds like the rest of Hypocrisy will sound, like, they take on the guitar tone that will just kind of remain the same for, what, the next five albums? And, like, the production and all that's not the problem here. The problem is that it's 2002 and a metalcore influence is creeping oh, yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had this thing with Annihilator as well. It just sort of creeps into whatever band is around. Mm. Like, these guys actually survived new metal and in the height of new metal kind of um, mm. released their absolute best stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. it's rare to think of there being an absolutely brilliant death metal album from 99. Mm, mm. But I guess like that's that's where melodic death metal went, and thus the rise of metalcore afterwards. But yeah, essentially, Catch Twenty Two. It's not dreadful. There's nothing wrong with it per se. It's just way too chuggy. Um, like like a lot of people reviewing it compared to Slipknot. I didn't hear that so much. I'd say I more got a kind of In Flames, Reroute to Remain, mm-hmm. uh, Come Clarity mm-hmm. kind of vibe. Which are like uh, again, those albums form exactly the same category as this. Is I can't put my finger on there being anything fundamentally wrong with them. I yeah. just don't really get it. Yeah, yeah. And the follow up to that, the arrival where the album cover they have gone full blown into the aliens thing <laughs> with a very silly picture of three aliens yeah. appearing. It, I really like it because if you turn the album around, you then find in the same position as the members of Hypocrisy standing as if they're the aliens. Yeah, but which, uh, so I like that, yeah. It's a nice touch. But yeah, for me, a lot of people rate Catch-22 as the absolute low point of uh, Hypocrisy, but I've got to say, for me, it's the arrival. Don't know what it is about this album. It's just... Nothing stands out. Nothing grabs me. It's got an amazing production. Really good introduction of like keyboards throughout. Peter's vocals are like... Just every album, they're getting better and better. Mm. Like the range of weird screams he's doing. It's just too much chugging. There's just not much happening. Like, they've kind of removed solos from this album. Like, and there's like... Rather than melodic passages, it's just lots and lots of chugging with mm. a bit of keyboards over the top. And it's... I, I just don't get it. The single Eraser is pretty good, although in hindsight it's just fine. It's I think I just have a love for it because it's like the first song yeah, of theirs yeah. I heard when I was like fifteen and didn't know <laughs> any better. Like um, yeah, so it's all right. It just it just doesn't sound quite right. Mm. Also, like and maybe this is a sign of it. At this point, uh, Lars Suke quits the band, like because he doesn't like the musical direction they're going in. Mm. So this is. So for what, like seven albums there, we had a completely consistent three-person lineup. So um, for 2005, the follow-up to this um, virus, we have the first big lineup change of uh, recruiting Hog from Immortal on drums, the blonde Nordic giant. Um, <laughs> and this, this is an interesting change because he's a very different drummer to Lars. Mm. And we also get a second guitarist in the form of Andreas Holmer, who's only on this album, like, the hypocrisy always have a live guitarist, but they mm. they've always recorded as a free piece other than this album, the first album. So Virus is an interesting one. It kicks off amazingly with Warpath, which features another brilliant intro kettle boil yeah, scream. Yeah. Uh, and automatically showcases the change of Hog coming in of like there's a proper fast blast beat. Yeah, like yeah. Hog ups the pace of hypocrisy massively. 
because like he's immortal strummer. He, mm. That guy does like super fast double kicks, uh, like in his sleep. He's <laughs> in a crazy drummer. And then yeah, Warpath is kind of atmospheric, heavy, fast. Lots of keyboards laid over the top. And then we get the um, single of the album, Scrutinized, which drops the keyboards, gets really technical for hypocrisy. Mm. Possibly the reason they never play it live, because it sounds <laughs> really difficult. Yeah, yeah. Um, it even features a guest solo from Gary Holt doing some oh, that's cool, yeah. brilliant whammy bar stupidity. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's Scrutinized, I think it's like Scrutinized and Warpath are a real highlight of this period of their career. Mm. Only problem is, Virus then does similar to previous albums as a really boring middle bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, about four songs in a row, just nothing wrong with them. There's just nothing particularly there. Uh, but then, towards the end, you get, um, like, Compulsive Psychosis and, I'm trying to think of the other one, uh, Living to Die as well, like, actually quite catchy songs. But yeah, it's definitely an album that's front-loaded with the good stuff. And how does sort of their technicality vary throughout their career? Because when they start off, some of the stuff is, it's like very sort of basic slab of death metal. Honestly, they're pretty much a non-technical band for the mm. entire career. Like, they'll get like, through a window of time earlier, it's like the most technical they really get. Two follow-ups to the final chapter, there's not really yeah. any super technical songs. And that's, that's why Scrutinize stands out as a bit mm. of a weird one, because it's just a really fast, like, complex riff track. Yeah. It still follows the kind of standard hypocrisy thing of like most of their songs are this verse chorus middle eight structure, which is it's cool, it really suits them, but um yeah, possibly why some of this stuff feels particularly repetitive um some of the time. So straight off this album, Andreas quits the band. I I believe he quit, like he still seems on good terms with them. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, because a lot of this information I'm getting from uh, a DVD later, they managed to interview a lot of previous members. But they couldn't, for whatever reason, Lars isn't on it. So I don't oh, know how okay, yeah. acrimonious that fallout was. Um, but yeah, so f- there's actually quite a big gap in time for Hypocrisy. Four years to the next album, um, A Taste of Extreme Divinity. This is like, um, just everything is stepped up from Virus. It's, it's in a very similar vein, but like you're just looking at it. Virus's cover is the worst of Photoshop filters and, <laughs> and just just yeah. bullshit artwork. It sort of feels like the image might have been a good one had it been sort of like drawn and properly coloured in afterwards. But, you know, just however this has been done on a computer does not work. You need like seven bits of lens flare on one photo. <laughs> but yeah, so Taste Extreme Divinity actually has a really decent cover. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and it's, it's actually like a more drawn artwork. And then we get into the album, it's just more solid. It doesn't have the filler. It's like one or two tracks that are maybe a bit weaker. But it's just everything's up. The production is... Because the problem with the last couple of albums, the production is probably a touch too clean. Mm-hmm. It loses a bit of the heaviness. This The production's pulled back a bit. It's a bit rougher and it just sounds more brutal again. And again, opens really strong with um, Valley of the Damned and Hang'em High, which both became like live staples after that point. This is... I'd say, other than those three I mentioned earlier, this is the next one to get. Mm. That or maybe some of the really early stuff because that stuff was just interesting at a point in time. Yeah. If you like your death metal history, like I think those are albums to go for as well. So to give you a taste of kind of what this later career sort of sounded like, I think I'll play a real highlight from it. This is the second track from uh, Taste of Stream Divinity, Hang Him High. Assassin. Sounds so exotic. <laughs> I was just a murderer. 
things here so just two things left to cover in 2011 um we get the hell over sophia 20 years of chaos and confusion which is just the ultimate package if you like hypocrisy it's a brilliantly shot live dvd shot in bulgaria of all places okay yeah which is yeah. very like but apparently they've got a big audience there so yeah. it's a really really well turned out gig with a super enthusiastic crowd super well shot like mm. uh the performance is spot on like peter's vocals throughout are excellent and the band are just relentlessly tight yeah, yeah. really good um kind of there's a split of their entire discography i think they play a track of every album bar um catch 22 mm. uh, obviously it's a razor off of um the arrival <laughs> uh, yeah just everything about this this DVD is just how you'd want to capture this band there's a great bit as well where they play five tracks in a row off the first five albums I think it's yeah I think it's oh, one okay, of each yeah, yeah. so you get this kind of like you see like <laughs> almost see the progression yeah in see that. it change sort of in real time in front of you that's really cool yeah I, I really enjoyed that and it comes with a great DVD as well sort of explaining the history of the band like oh cool with a lot of interviews and stuff yeah. and you get Masse and Peter discussing their drunken early days, which is kind of fascinating. <laughs> and their long-standing live guitarist who explains his time in the band as babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that is really worth a watch if you enjoy their stuff. Then two years after that, we get what looks like it'll be the final Hypocrisy album. This is uh, 2013's End of Disclosure. Again, four uh, four years between the uh, this and the last. You can see... I think Peter's interest in the project is sort of slightly tailing off here. It essentially end of disclosure. There's not much to say of it. It's it's so similar to Taste of Extreme Divinity. It just feels like another version of the same mm-hmm. album with slightly weaker tracks. Like it's it is really good in a kind of technical sense. But I just I don't know why for whatever reason this album didn't grab me at all. Yeah. It's got a couple of um, like I think what didn't help as well. End of Disclosure, the single, is by far like the worst song on it. Okay, yeah. So, I, like, yeah, I didn't buy it when I came out because I heard that. I was like, oh, maybe they've lost it. But it's mm. got some great moments. Um, Tales of Thy Spineless, which like, doesn't make sense as a title, <laughs> but really good song. United We Fall, and then the melodic uh, track, The Return, all really worth a listen. Like, if you enjoyed their latest stuff, th- this one and Taste Extreme Divinity are almost certainly the best two mm. of the lot, mm. but... Yeah, it's uh, it's a difficult one. Honestly, like the best experience you can get from their latest stuff is the Hell Over Sophia DVD. And this is kind of where we leave Hypocrisy. They toured for a bit after this. Project's currently on hold. 
he's when questioned about whether he's going to do any more albums, I sort of vastly hinted he's hasn't got the impetus to write more, mm. but he's he doesn't seem to be averse to the idea of still touring the band. So we might see okay, him. Yeah. His pain's doing really well at the moment. He's also got his project with Till Lindemann of Rammstein. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which, again, it's more of that kind of industrial music, which I'm not mm, the biggest mm. fan of, so I'm just not qualified to review any of that. But, yeah, so, don't know. Like, hypocrisy seemed very much up in the air. Hopefully, they at least reform at some point in the kind of, you know, what Bolt Throw were doing for the last yeah, five years yeah. of their career. Of just, if they can't make a good album, just tour the... Yeah, uh, just play all the old stuff. Yeah, it's, like, I'd love to see it again. Because... Being as big a hypocrisy fan as I am, I only saw them once playing Hellfest, and they were so drunk it didn't make sense. <laughs> like oh, they genuinely had a point where Peter and the live guitarist at the time started playing two different songs, and they had to stop and start again, <laughs> despite oh, them having a backing no. track for the keyboards. Like, <laughs> it, oh god, it was horrible. But like yeah. <laughs> I don't know what was going on there. Oh, that's a shame. But yeah, okay, so that's that's our history of uh, hypocrisy. It's kind of fun to do this, and we might try doing something similar with some other artists, try and get some that Rob knows a bit better yeah, in there yeah, as well. Yeah, I'm definitely thinking about a few uh, bands that I could do this for. So, yeah, if, if you do like this, let us know, because uh, this is sort of a new thing that we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so it just stands to do all our plugs. Like, please rate and review us on iTunes. Like, I think that's helpful. <laughs> Every other podcast I listen to says to do that, so, so I feel yeah, like yeah. we should say that. Yeah, it seems like something we need to do. Uh, join the Facebook page, Phil's Breakfast Metal, or um, or follow us on Twitter. It's more or less me posting the same things. Yeah, you just um, at Breakfast Metal on at, Twitter. Uh, at Phil's Breakfast Metal. At Phil's Breakfast Metal. Yeah, okay. no, no apostrophe or anything. It's all one <laughs> yeah. word. And then Phil's Breakfast Metal at Gmail. Again, no apostrophe. Yeah, anything, any like comments, ideas, anything really relating to metal, happy to start any discussion about that. Yeah, fact so, check us because some of this will be wrong. <laughs> yeah, we, we will definitely be wrong. There was definitely misinformation in here somewhere, I'm sure of it. <laughs> There's a lot. I listened to the entire discography of a band in a week. <laughs> you can't be expected to really not go a bit mad. Including including the live albums uh, and the two Abyss albums, that was 16 albums. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> I, I knew a lot of it already. It's funny, coming to it, the only one I didn't know, I was sort of thinking this like, it's like, that's kind of strange I've never listened to Catch-22. It's like, mm. no, it's not strange. A normal person doesn't listen to a band's entire discography. Yeah, they've yeah. got 12 albums. Yeah, I guess over such a short time as well, it shows just how much they've got in their discography. Like, yeah. Over, over, like, not an enormous period of time. Well, first album's 1992, final album and kind of end of the band's 2013. Yeah. So what is that? It's 21 years, 22 yeah, years, yeah. something like that. And, yeah. 12 albums a lot of which are really decent like, mm, that's mm. a ludicrously high that's impressive output. yeah but yeah yeah. so let us know if you'd like us to do something like this again we thought because the end of career is not so good leaving a really high moment of um, of their career this is from the Hypocrisy Destroys Wacken album this is Inseminated Adoption <laughs>
Thank you very much.